Good morning, everybody. Question for you today. How many of you have one of these? Right? Most all of us have these. And we know that technology, we moan and groan because of some of the devils that technology brings into our life, right? That, that unchecked technology can really do a lot of destructive things, and we've seen people use technology in some very destructive ways. But it's also uh, brought about a lot of convenience and made life a lot easier. Uh, me speaking personally, one of the apps that I probably use more than a lot of the other apps is the one called Maps. How many of you use your Maps app quite a bit? Yeah, isn't that awesome? That it already knows your location. All you got to do is type in your destination and hit route, and it will show you like three different routes you can take to get to the same place. The fastest route, maybe the route that's not so fast, but it's a lot more scenic and enjoyable to take, right? And then you're like, okay, this is the place I want to go. So if you hit the go button, then all of a sudden you have this beautiful voice who's given you step-by-step instructions, right? Uh, my son recently changed my voice to an Australian female, all right? So uh, she's always giving me directions to Outback for some reason. I can't figure out why. But now, anyway, you know, she'll come on and she'll say, take a turn in 500 feet. Get in the middle lane. Take the next exit. It's awesome. And here's what I've realized. As long as I follow the route that she's laid out for me, I'm going to arrive at the destination. I'm going to tell you something, folks. There is but one destination for every follower of Jesus Christ. You know what that destination is? To look as much like Jesus as you possibly can in this life. I didn't say that. God said it. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans 8, 29. For God knew his people in advance. Listen to this. And he chose them to become like his son. That's the goal of the Christian life. That's the bullseye right there. To look as much like Jesus as we possibly can. So that's why we're in this series called Fellowship, Because we're following Jesus around and we're looking at what did Jesus do? How did he act? What were his habits? What were his priorities? What things did, were non-negotiables for him? And in my opinion, this has been one of the most important series that we've done in recent years. Because the great failing of so many churches is this. They do not have a discipleship process in play. Meaning a process by which the people at their church can look increasingly more like Jesus. They've got a lot of programs, but they don't have that clear path, that, that clear process that communicates this is how you reach the goal of looking more like Jesus. And I said in week one of this series that whenever you go to any church and you're thinking about becoming part of that church, you have a right to have very high expectations of what that church is about, what their mission is, what they're shooting for. And if you choose to become part of that church, that church has a right to have very high expectations of how you are going to help them get to their desired end. So let me say it very loud, very clear, so there's no mistakes about it. Our mission as a church, our destination that we are shooting for can be summed up in a simple phrase, and that is this, to make and grow disciples of Jesus Christ. 
Now, another word for disciple is maybe a little simpler word that we're familiar with. It's simply the word follower. And we could say that because that was Jesus' invitation, right? Jesus called out to people. He said, come what? Follow me. Did he say, come accept me? Was that the invitation? No. Was it come agree with me? Was that it? No. It was come follow me. Do life like me. Live like me. Prioritize the things in your life that I prioritize. Step in my steps. That was the call of Jesus, for someone to abandon themselves and fully trust and fully follow Jesus wherever he leads them. So, as we've investigated the life of Jesus over the series of these past weeks, here's what we've done. We've identified six things in Jesus' life that characterized him that should ultimately characterize those of us who call him Lord and Savior, all right? And this movement toward Jesus, this following after him, is what we call next steps. Because anytime you're following after somebody, you have to take a series of steps in order to get where they are at. And if that's our goal, to get as close to Jesus as we possibly can, to live the life that he's called us to live, we're taking one step after another in the direction of Jesus. And every follower of Jesus, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter how long you've been in Christ, every follower of Jesus has a next step. Now let me be very, very clear about something, okay? Hear me loud and clear. Your salvation is not dependent on any of these next steps. Scripture says it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. So your salvation is not dependent upon any of these next steps that we're going to talk about. However, your growth in Christ, becoming more like Christ, is absolutely, wholeheartedly dependent upon these next steps that we're going to be addressing this morning. Let me remind you of what Jesus' final words were to his church. This doesn't just apply to the apostles who were there when Jesus swooped up to heaven. This applies to us because we are the body of Christ, the physical representation of Jesus in the world. So these words apply to us as well. And here were his final words. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So according to Jesus, disciple-making is a two-step process. The first thing he says is that person needs to be baptized, right? That person, when they come to a point of faith, yes, I I believe that Jesus was who he said he was and that he did what he said he came to do, and I throw my life to him, asking him to be Lord and Savior. Jesus says when when a person does that and submits to the, the watery grave of baptism, he says, that's how disciples are made. But disciples are grown when they hear and are taught the teachings of Jesus and obey them and live the life that Jesus lived. So today we're going to just kind of recap what we've talked about the last several weeks. And we're going to look at the steps that Jesus took 
so that it becomes very obvious to you and me the next step I need to take to get closer to Jesus, okay? Here we go. Here's number one. First of all, we see Jesus worship regularly. To put it very simply for you all this morning, faithful followers of Jesus worship faithfully. See, the whole reason I even have to do a recap and kind of take the last several weeks and pack them into one is because I got a sneaking suspicion that there's very few people in here who have been here for all eight weeks of this series. And I say that because statistics prove that to be true. Statistically speaking, we're told that in 2019 America, someone considers themselves an active church attender, meaning they're they're in it, if they attend 1.7 times a month. Someone considers themselves a regular active church attender if they're there 39% of the times, or 20 Sundays out of 52 in a year. Now, with that in mind, that being kind of the mode of our culture, let's look at Jesus. Was that Jesus' way? Was Jesus at synagogue 20 times out of 52? Was he there 39% of the time? Was he a 1.7 a month or guy? Here's what Luke 4.16 says. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, in other words, on the day when God's people collectively got together, he went into the synagogue, say this with me, as was his custom. Okay, so right there, if your goal, if you came in today saying, I want to look like Jesus as much as I can, then I don't even need to say anymore. You've heard enough right there. You are already convinced. Because if Jesus did it, then you say, I'm going to do it. If that was his pattern, that's going to be my pattern. And let me tell you what, folks. It was the pattern. It was the habit. It was the discipline. It was the routine. It was the custom of Jesus to gather with the people of God when they assembled to sing songs of praise, to hear the word of the Lord proclaimed. And do you know why Jesus did it? Why he did it regularly? Why it was his custom? Why every time the doors were open, you knew one person would be there, it's that Jesus guy. Here's why he did it. Because he felt his father was worth it. There wasn't going to be anything else on the schedule, nothing else on his plate that was going to interfere with him getting with the people of God and celebrating his father who he thought was more than worthy to receive his praise. So if worshiping regularly was a practice of Jesus, then worshiping regularly needs to be a practice of Jesus' people. So maybe this morning, maybe you realize, you know what, that's my next step. Because on our family calendar, we've got all sorts of things going, and Sundays often get convoluted with a lot of things, and as long as we don't have this going on Sunday, or that going on Sunday, or that going on, then we'll come to church as long as there's nothing else better to do. Right? That's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus said everything else takes second place. First place gets to be assembling with God's people, worshiping God through song, the proclamation of his word, getting in together with community and fellowship with other believers, surrounding the Lord's table, participating in the elements that symbolize the depth of God's love for me, the sacrifice that he paid for me, that's going to top everything else. I'm going to worship regularly. If I'm not on vacation, if I'm not out of town, and if I'm not deathly ill, I'm going to be here with the people of God. 
So, Jesus worshiped regularly. You know what else Jesus did? He connected with God daily. You know, our Father loves us so much, he's given us two means, two very powerful means, by which we can connect with him and grow in our relationship with him. One is that he has given us his word. And you know why we read the Bible? Why God gave us the Bible? So that we can know him, who he is, and subsequently follow him better. This is what the psalmist said when he said, your word, Lord, is like this. It's like a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It illuminates things. It teaches me, God, about who you are. It, it teaches me, God, about this thing called life and the way that you've called me to live life. God, your word shows me all the ways that you have went, the, the extent you went, the, the sacrifice you made so that I could be in relationship with you. It shows me the extent of your love, Father. And Father, in light of that love, it shows me the kind of life that I'm to live as I'm a recipient of that love. Your word, God, just illuminates so much for me. Who you are, who I am, my need for you, the kind of life you've called me to live. God, it just it illuminates so much. So we read God's word to know him and follow him better. And God has made himself completely accessible and knowable through the pages of his word. And guess who sets the example of someone who was dedicated to God's word? Want to take a guess? Say it again. Jesus, he did. Jesus taught scripture. He quoted scripture. Explained scripture memorized scripture, expounded on scripture. Do you know why he was able to do all these things? Because he knew the word of God. In fact, we see this come to play at one prominent time in his life. It's right after he was baptized and the spirit of God takes him out into the wilderness where he's going to endure a time of testing and temptation for 40 days and 40 nights. The enemy is right there at his heels with each temptation increasingly getting bigger for Jesus. And with every temptation that comes his way, Jesus responds to the enemy with three words, powerful words that the enemy was powerless against. Remember what those three words were? It is what? Written. All Jesus did was pull out the word of God and say, you, you, you have no power over me. This is my defense against you, all your temptations and your trials and your whims. Everything right here, this is all I need to fight you, to combat you. So Jesus proves to us this inherent connection between spending time in God's word and following God well. That the more time you spend in his word, getting to know him and his heart and his plan and his purpose for you, the better you're going to be at living the life that he's called you to. Jesus was masterful at this. But, truth of the matter is, we don't just connect with God through prayer, do we? Or through his word, we connect with God as well through prayer. So it's like this two-way exchange that's going on. 
Through his word, we hear from our Father, and through prayer, our Father hears the hearts and the cries of his children. And the reason we pray is to admit our dependency upon God and to express our intimacy with God. God, I need you every day, every hour for everything. And God, I want to know you in every possible way that you can be known. That's the purpose of prayer, to let God know we're relying on him and that we seek to know him in deeper and deeper ways every day. And guess who prayed a lot? Want to take a guess? See, every time I ask this question, it's always the same answer, I guarantee you. you know? So you can answer very confidently and very robustly, okay? You can even shout it out, and you're not going to hear wrong, okay? So you want to guess who prayed a lot? Okay, thank you. All right, and here's how we know that. Luke 5, 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. If there was ever a time the disciples were like, hey, where's Jesus? We need him. Or, hey, some people are asking for Jesus. Where is he? They would always know, oh, he's out praying. He's connecting with the Father, right? In fact, Jesus' prayer life was, made such an impact on his followers because they observed it all the time. They made a request of him one day. You remember what that request was? They said, Lord, what? Teach us to pray. They saw something powerful in the prayer life of Jesus and they're like I want that there's good in that we want Jesus to pray like you prayed and here's where they saw that in the life of Jesus everywhere at every major mark in Jesus life they found him what on his knees at his baptism he's praying choosing the 12 disciples the night before he's praying Again, dependency on God. God, I'm, I'm trusting on you to help me pick the right ones. When he takes Peter, James, and John up to the mountain transfiguration there, and he's, he's, his clothes turn white, and he reflects the glory of God, guess what he's doing when all that happens? He's praying. We read that he prays early in the morning before anybody else is up, and he prays late in the evening when everybody else is in bed. We pray that before the cross, he's in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, and even on the cross, he's in prayer. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, into your hands I commit my soul. So even though he walks a lot, Jesus' knees are very, very calloused because he spends so much time on them. So maybe for you this morning, your next step is to make sure that daily, you intentionally carve out specific time for you and your father. Whether that's during your lunch break, at home, before the kids and the wife gets up, whether it's in the evening when everybody else is in bed, you just have your alone time where you can soak in his word and you can speak your honest heart to your father because he wants to hear everything you have to say. And here's what I'm convinced of. Every other step will flow out of this step. How much you're connecting with God, how much you know his heart, how much you're letting him groom you and, and grow you and teach you 
I think all the other steps are going to be dependent upon how much we really prioritize this step of connecting with God daily. And Jesus is proof, again, of the power that's there in daily prioritizing your relationship with God. There's something else we see in Jesus. His life demonstrated a life of doing life together. Listen to what it says in Mark 3.14. He appointed the 12 that they might be with him. You know what I love about Jesus? <laughs> Even though he was the Messiah, he did not have a Messiah complex, did he? He did not have that kind of lone ranger mentality. It's like, hey, I got this all by myself. No, no, don't need any help from anybody. No, you know what? Jesus himself needed companionship. So doing life after Jesus, following Jesus, means doing life with other people. Because Jesus was fully human, and humans, as we know, are incurably relational. And you know where we get that from? We get it honest. We get it from our Father. In the Trinitarian Godhead, there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living in this, this community of perfect love and joy and delight and submission. And out of that love, the, the Trinity birthed mankind. We were born out of that love, out of that community, and we are invited into that community in the Trinity. And so because we are made in the image of our creator, because we are made in the image of a Trinitarian, community-minded Godhead, we are hardwired from day one of our life to be ever so relational because we're made in the image of a relational God. Let me tell you what, folks. Christian life never, ever, ever meant to be a solo act. It was always meant to be iron sharpening iron. Me for you, you for me. A sense of togetherness. Solomon picks up on this and writes this in his wisdom in Ecclesiastes 4, 9. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down... One can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. I've seen a lot of people fall through the course of my lifetime. I've seen a lot of people whose sin and deception got them in a chokehold and took them down. And you know one of the reasons they were able to take them down? Because they were trying to do it solo. Nobody else at their side. Nobody else who really knew them. And they fell in a pit and they stayed in the pit. Let's see, he continues. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Here's why we need each other. Because the life that Jesus has called us to, he told us over and over and over and over again, it's not for the weak, it's not for the faint of heart. That we are in a war, a cosmic battle of dark forces and principalities who have declared war against the children of light. 
And they are hell-bent on making us impotent and ineffective. And one of the ways they do that, one of the clever ways they operate, is simply to isolate us. So that we remove ourselves from the influence of other people. So that other people don't know my struggles, they don't know my hurts, they don't know my, my temptations. And we become easy prey. It's like the newborn gazelle who gets away from the herd. Opportunity for the enemy. So, maybe your next step is to find a group of men, find a group of women who are chasing hard after Jesus together, and you say, can I chase after him with you? We call them groups here at the church, and if you're interested in getting in a group that can help do for you what the disciples did for one another and what they did for Jesus himself, please contact Ryan Kime here at the church, our Next Steps minister. He would love to help get you in a group. So maybe that's your next step today. Speaking of Ryan, the next step that we see laid out for us is to give generously. Ryan spoke beautifully about this a few weeks ago when he talked about giving generously. And he made this point. And I know it's one of those points that's like, well, I kind of already knew that. But it's like you don't really think about it until somebody says it. And that is this, that anytime you give something, whether it be little or whether it be big, it is always going to cost you something in some way to give something, right? That's what makes a gift so beautiful. Is because you understand there's a sacrifice. This, this cost this person to deliver this to me, to bring this to me in some form or fashion. It could have been their time, their energy. It could have been uh, money. It could have been a resource they had. But it always costs something to give. And we read in John 3.16 these powerful words. For God so loved the world that he what? At his heart, our father's a giver. How many of you parents in here, you love to give things to your children? Man, I do. I love it. And you know what Jesus said? He said, it's the father's good pleasure to give good things to his children. So maybe we are never more like God than when we give out of our own love for other people. In fact, when we look at Jesus, do you know what compelled me to come to Christ? It might have been different for you, but I know this did, the, this did it for me. When I read through the Gospels and I saw all that he endured, all that he suffered, the price he paid, the depths he was willing to go, and I said, I cannot not have that. Look at what he did so that I could have hope. Look at what he did so I could be saved. Look what he did so I could have the hope of forever. And so Jesus tells you and he tells me, there's so many people in our world today that don't have the hope of forever like you once were, Solomon. So you make sure you're offering up your resources, your time, your talent, your treasure, your money, your resources, whatever it takes so that I can reach others. Now to kind of piggyback on this idea, Last week, for those of you who were here, each family was given one of these books called Rich Toward God. 
This is a series that we're going to start next Sunday. It's four weeks long. And it's going to help us arrive at this end of being rich toward God. It's all about the story of the man who built the bigger barns because his crop was so robust. Then he tore down his barns so he could build bigger ones. And Jesus called him a fool and said, tonight your life will be required of you. We're going to learn from that man's shed blood so we don't have to shed our own. And here's what I never want. I never want it to be said of Batcher Creek, well, all they ever talk about is money there. And I think we've got a pretty good track record here at the church that would deny any such accusations against us, almost to a fault. So while I don't want to be labeled or painted with that brush as a money-hungry church, I also don't want to be unfaithful to Scripture because I'm called to preach the whole counsel of God. And the whole counsel of God gets us right here sometimes. Right? I'm pointing to my wallet, by the way, in case you didn't know that, all right? (laughs) Sometimes it kicks us right there, but I'm pointing to my back pocket because that's where I keep my wallet, you know? And it's important that we talk about these things because Jesus talked about these things. He talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell. Because he knew that money was going to be his chief competitor to winning the hearts of human beings. He talked about money more than any other topic in his earthly ministry except for the kingdom of God. Because he knows money is a powerful thing. And it can keep so many people out of the kingdom of God or ineffective in the kingdom of God. So maybe today, you're like, well, before we even go into that series, Solomon, I already know what my next step is. It's to give generously. Because I realize in and of myself, I've not cultivated a heart of generosity. I've cultivated the heart of a taker and not a giver. I've cultivated my heart to be a clutcher instead of a releaser. So maybe you already know that about yourself. And your next step is to give God ownership of everything that you have. We'll talk about that more in the next few weeks. There's another step, though, that I talked about a few weeks ago called invest and invite. And we based it upon three stories that Jesus told from Luke 15 that all had the exact same ending. Do you remember what it was? It was about 100 sheep, and one of them got lost, and the shepherd went after the one that was lost, and he left the 99 until he found the one that was lost, and he celebrated the one that he found. And it was about the woman who had 10 coins, and she lost one of them, and she turns her house upside down until she finds the one coin, and she calls her friends and says, come celebrate with me, I found that which is lost. In the last story, the one that we can most readily relate to, was the story about a rebellious young son who dishonored his father and made a mess, a complete mess of his life in a very short amount of time. But he comes home with contrition, repentance, and he's received with loving, welcome arms from his father. And the father said to the oldest son, we must celebrate because this this brother of yours was dead 
and is alive. He was lost, and he's now found. Friends, we cannot forget every Sunday when we meet in here, there are thousands of people outside these walls who are lost. I don't mean spatially lost. I don't mean God's like, I wonder where they're at. No, God knows where they're at. I mean they are relationally lost. They are not connected in any way to their Father in heaven. They're lost. And folks, God wants what every father, what every mother wants for their children. He wants to have all his children around his table. Listen to Luke 19.10. Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And we find Jesus doing exactly what he said. We find him taking time with people. We find him walking with people through their time of hurt. We find Jesus inviting people, saying, come to me for hope. Come to me for forgiveness. Come for me. Come to me for eternal life. And they came. So remember something. A lot of times we look forward to the next life because we know that everything's going to be better in the next life, right? Life's going to be so much better. We're going to be able to do everything better in heaven than we can currently do on earth. We're going to worship better in heaven. We're going to serve better in heaven. We're going to know better in heaven. We're going to love better in heaven. Did you know, though, there's one thing that you can't do in heaven that you can only do on earth? You know what that is? Anybody have a guess? Seek and save what? The lost. There aren't lost people in heaven. So maybe your next step you've identified is that I need to intentionally develop a relationship with a coworker, a friend, a family member, a neighbor, somebody who I know is, is relationally far from God. And I'm going to invest in them and cultivate a friendship with the hopes and the purpose of getting them to an environment, maybe a Sunday morning church service, maybe a Christian concert, maybe a Christian event at the Honeywell Center. And you know what? Where that environment could even be? It could even be your own backyard. But just an environment where they can be exposed to the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. But you're going to invest in that person and invite them for that one specific person. Because there's no plan B, folks. Jesus says to the church, you know what? You're the hope of the world. If we don't do it, it ain't going to get done. So we've got to always remember the lost. And that we are the body of Christ left here to pick up where Jesus left off. And then last week, Nate talked about our last step. Serve people. And we saw the servanthood nature of Jesus beautifully displayed as Jesus, Lord, Messiah, King, Creator, as he stooped, took dirty feet in a towel and basin, and tenderly washed the feet of his disciples until they were clean. 
even the feet of the disciple who was about to betray him with a kiss. Jesus said his ministry was all about servanthood and that his people, you and me, should be the greatest servants that the world has ever seen. Nobody, nobody should do people better than Jesus' people. Listen to what he says in Mark 10, 43. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. All right? Let me explain something very clear, just in case there's any fuzziness or fogginess out there, okay? Every church really represents one of two kinds of ships, all right? There's some churches that have the cruise ship mentality. And if you work for a cruise liner, you know that your number one job as an employee of that cruise liner is that you are to pamper the guests and make sure they're having a great time. All right? Newsflash, we are not the cruise ship church, okay? We are a battleship church. We recognize the fact that we are in a war, that we need all hands on deck it's not about pampering one another or catering one another. It's about everyone coming to their deck with their standard issue equipment. And you know what that standard issue equipment was when you signed up for the SS Bachelor Creek? It is a basin of water and a towel. That all of us take on the role of servant. That nobody comes strutting in here you know, wondering where their Bahama Mama is on cruise ship, right? We all come in here with the same mentality, is that we're here to serve. And I wonder if by some measure, our life is going to be measured by the Lord someday when he asks the question, what did you do with your towel and basin in my name? So maybe some of you, your next step you might need to be like, I need to get out of the cruise ship mentality at Bachelor Creek because I come with a consumer mindset instead of a contributor mindset. I need to start finding out where the church needs me and not only asking how do I need the church. Because scripture says we're like a body. Like these organs in my body, they're all interdependent on one another. That if one doesn't do what it's designed to do, the rest of the body is affected. So we need every person to identify, here's what God has gifted me at, here's what I'm passionate about, here's what I feel called to do, and fill in the gaps here at this church and outside these church at a lot of volunteer organizations who need the hands and heart of Jesus serving people. So maybe that's your next step. Now, as we wrap up, I'm going to ask one thing of you today. One thing alone. Movement. Because again, anytime you are following after somebody, it requires some movement on your part. You've noticed that on the walls, the outside walls here in the worship center, we have something hung up there today. And we're going to have a picture of that up here on the screen behind me so that I can tell you a little bit what that is, okay? This is designated to kind of be like a map with some different locations that are marked out here. But you can see that in the center, all the roads ultimately lead where? 
to Jesus, all right? And so we're saying, Jesus, in order to be more like you, I need to go to this desired destination. So here in just a moment, the worship team's going to come up, and they're going to pray. And what I want you to use this time for, please, 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 is just pray. And say, Lord, I'm your follower. Show me what my next step is to get closer to you. Some of you already know. Without a doubt, you know, man, this is really negligent in my life. I need to do this. But others of you, you really might be clueless. But here's what I do know. Your father is more concerned about your growth than anybody else. He's more concerned about it than I am, even more concerned about it than you are. And here's the invitation he gives. He says, ask me, and I'll answer you. Seek me, and you'll find. Knock on my door, and I'll open it up, and I will give you an answer. I'll show up. So if you really don't know, just use this time and ask God and say, Lord, what is my next step? But I, I have a hunching suspicion that most everybody in here already knows what their next step is. So when Michael and the band come up, and it's just you and your time with God, we've got something for you. You got it when you came in today. You got one of these. And what these are is they are little stickers. All right? And you just peel off the little red marker in the middle. And it's meant to look like one of those little pointer things, like on our maps app, you know. And it just says, my next step. And here's what we want you to do. Around any of these maps, they're all identical. You can choose any one you want to go to. Just go over to that map and put your next step where you feel led your next step needs to be. Try not to cover up the words if you can, just so other people putting things on there know exactly what it says, you know. But put your marker on there that as you feel led by God, looking at your life, how you are and how you aren't following Jesus, here's why I'm following well, here's why I need improvement. Put your next steps marker down. You know, it's interesting in our culture today, a lot of people are counting steps, aren't they? You know how many people are counting steps? How many of you all count steps? You're willing to admit it in church. We've got a lot of step counters, right? Here's what a lot of people in our world aren't doing. They're not asking, are the steps I'm taking counting for anything? And that's what I want this to be a time for. Lord, I want my step towards you to count for something for you and your kingdom. You'll notice up on this map, there's one step that I didn't talk about today, but it's the critical first step. It's the step of baptism. In fact, I would say, and Jesus, I believe, would wholeheartedly agree that until you take that first step, you are not ready for any of the other steps on there. Because do you remember what he said? Make disciples, first things first, baptizing them. Bring them into relationship with me so that I can work through them and get them to their next step. So if you haven't been baptized this morning, today would be a great day for that. And instead of you taking this little marker and putting it on baptism, which you're more, more than free to do so this morning, man, I would much rather you just bring this, this little marker up to me and say, Solomon, Today's the day that I want to be baptized into Christ. Do you know that Jesus walked 60 miles to be baptized? 60 miles. 
So will you this morning walk 60 feet to obey him? I'm going to leave that up between you and him. Why don't you stand right now? Join me in a word of prayer. If you're ready to be baptized today, I will be here at the front and center. You just come to me, and we've got everything you need today to make it happen. We've got clothes, hair dryers, hairspray, brushes, everything you need, okay? We will have you looking just as good leaving as you did when you came in, okay? Why don't you pray with me? Father, we come to you because you're a father who wants to hear from his children. And Lord, this time is designated today for a time of personal accountability, for a time for us to actually own our walk with you and say, yeah, this is where I've got room for growth in my life, or here's where I feel Jesus convicted me, where I'm not following him well. And we've always got a next step to take, Lord. I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for the steps that I've seen people taking over the years and the, the beautiful things that have come out of watching people's relationship with you, Father, it's been amazing. But I'm a firm believer that the best is still yet to come. As long as we're honest with ourselves and honest with you. So today when we mark what our next step is, Lord, it's, it's, there's no shame in it. There's no guilt in it. There's freedom that when we know better, we do better. So Father, I pray that people will realize today that we're with family. And we should be able to express to family whatever it is we need to express and not feel shame or guilt or that we've let anybody down, but just to honestly say, here's where I am. So Lord, just show this, this flock that you love, that I love, where they are, where they need to grow. And help us as a church, Lord, after seeing where these things go, to provide the resources that are needed to help people get take that next step. We give this time to you, Father, knowing that you love us, that you want us to be conformed to the image of your Son, and today is the first step and hopefully of what will be many yet to come. We pray in his good name. Amen.